Thank you. Good morning. It's a joy to be here this morning. Um, I was a little afraid I wouldn't be. I'm getting over a cold, and I just kept praying all week, Lord, don't let me get laryngitis, and he didn't. So hopefully you'll all be able to hear me. I'd like to start this morning with a passage you all know very well, I'm sure. It's from Matthew 14, verses 13 through 21. Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a deserted place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him one foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion for them and cured their sick. When it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a deserted place, and the hour is now late. Send the crowds away so that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. Jesus said to them, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. But they replied, We have nothing here but five loaves and two fish. And he said, Bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds and all ate and all were filled. And they took up what was left over of the broken pieces, 12 baskets full, and those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. As I said, it's a real blessing for me to be here with you today, to thank you for all you do reaching out to the community, not just through Love, Inc., but in the many other ministries that you're a part of. When I was asked to share this morning, I knew I wanted to use the feeding of the 5,000 as my text. It's a story that we're all familiar with. If you're like me, you probably heard it from the time you were a little tiny child. And we listen to it and we hear about a miracle. And indeed, it was a miracle. But there are some really important parts of the story that until recently I missed. And I wouldn't be surprised if you did too. If you will look with me again at verses 16 through 20 and give me the privilege of sharing with you how your congregation can continue to reach out to your neighbors. Verse 16, Jesus said to them, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. When the disciples brought the problem to Jesus, the first thing he said was, You fix it. How often do we take things to God for ourselves, for other people, and say, Lord, please fix this problem. Do something about it. Why aren't you working? But what Jesus expects of us is to be his hands and feet among the hurting. I'm sure some of you are familiar with Oswald Chambers' uh, beloved devotional book, My Utmost for His Highest. This has been a classic devotional book since 1927, and it's one that I have used for many years. In speaking about our call as Christians... Chambers says, the institutional church's idea of a servant of God is not at all like Jesus Christ's idea. His idea is that we serve him by being the servants of others. He said that in his kingdom, the greatest one would be the servant of all. The real test of a saint is not one's willingness to preach the gospel, but one's willingness to do something like washing the disciples' feet. That is, being willing to do those things that seem unimportant in human estimation, but count as everything to God. I'm so thankful I can share with you 
some of what's been happening at Love in the Name of Christ through your outreach and the outreach of over 100 other churches, and to give you an idea of how you can do even more. Love, Inc. is a national ministry started 40 years old, 40 years ago by a Christian social worker in the Midwest who would go to work during the week and see all the needs around him and go to church on Sunday and hear his brothers and sisters around him say, if we only knew what people really needed. And as he prayed about this, God gave him a vision for what ultimately became Love, Inc., Love in the Name of Christ. Our Lancaster affiliate started 24 years ago out of Bossler Mennonite. Some of you know Fred Garber, I'm sure, who pastors there. His wife Linda read a book by the founder of Love, Inc., and she took it to Fred and she said, we need this in Lancaster County. So we started out with six churches. We now have about 160 churches that partner with us in one way or another from all across the county and from 25 different Christian traditions and denominations. You heard what our mission statement is. Mobilize local churches to transform lives and communities in the name of Christ. As you hear what happens in our office every day, you'll think, boy, it sounds like your mission is to meet needs or to find volunteers, but it's not. Our mission is to mobilize the church, to mobilize the body of Christ in this church and in many, many, many other churches across the county so that we can keep you connected to be the hands and feet of Jesus in your community. Now, there are hundreds of references in the scriptures about how we care for the poor and needy. The prophets, the disciples, Jesus himself talking about caring for them, giving the poor a place of honor, making sure that justice is carried out. And if we do, we'll have treasure in heaven. But 1 Corinthians 13, another chapter that we've heard so often that sometimes we gloss over some of it. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 still says, If I give all, all I possess to the poor, and surrender my body to the flames, in other words, be a martyr, but have not love, I have gained nothing. I've gained nothing. So how do we go beyond the step of giving food, giving clothing? How do we go beyond that step that most of us have grown up doing to that place where we really display Christian love to the people that come into our circle? I think too often we respond as the disciples did in the feeding of the 5,000 story out of a mentality of lack. Verse 17 says, and the disciples replied, we have nothing here but five loaves and two fishes. How often do we say to God, I, I, I don't have what it takes. I can't do that. I don't have the tools. I'm not equipped. But how did Jesus respond to the disciples when they said, we don't have anything? He said, bring them here to me. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. Now, there are two really important things that happen in this verse. First, Jesus told the disciples to bring the gifts to him so that he could bless them. Bring them to him so that he could bless them. But then, the really important part is, Jesus did not distribute 
the fish and the loaves. Jesus gave them back to the disciples and said, now you distribute them. He gave them back so that the fish and the loaves were multiplied. Love, Inc. is a ministry strategy that helps you multiply the gifts that you bring to Jesus, helps you multiply them so that they are taken out to feed your neighbors. It takes your care ministry that you all, I'm sure, have, internal care ministry, outside your four walls. If you would help Mary, who sits down the pew from you, would you help Jeannie, who lives a block away from you? Let me share what happens in our office each and every day. Every day, our phones ring and ring and ring. We get an average of 35 calls a day. The most calls we've ever had in one day is 77. And we have two people answering the phone, so think about that. Those calls come from pastors, from school social workers, from the medical community, from people themselves who are in need, and from virtually all the social services in our county. They're calling because there's a need for which there's no resource or no affordable resource. What an amazing open door. I like to say, think about this. Department of Public Welfare, Community Action Program, Visiting Nurses, you name it. They're calling love in the name of Christ. Isn't that marvelous? They're calling the church. We have the privilege then of opening that door and giving you the opportunity to walk beside people who are calling because they have a need and they don't know where to turn. What kinds of needs are they? Let me just read you some of them. Auto repair, budget guidance, meals, cleaning, yard work, transportation, non-medical respite care, help with moving, minor repairs, tutoring, shopping, personal care, almost anything you can think of that requires another person to walk beside someone physically to help them meet their need. Now, many, many, many years ago, uh, I was a college librarian. And one of the things that I learned from a reference course, which I'm not even sure if there are reference desks anymore because now we have Google and who needs a reference librarian? Um, one of the things that our professor said was, when somebody comes to the reference desk and asks a question, nine times out of 10, that's not their real question. And part of what we were taught to do was to dig down a little bit and find out what their real question was. And that applies to almost everybody that calls the Loving office. They may call and say, I need to get to the doctor next week. Do you have anybody that can help me? I have no way there. But what we do when that call comes in is try to dig deeper, try to find out what's really going on in the life of that person. You know, we don't talk about helping the poor. We talk about serving our neighbors. In our culture, poverty is often equated with only economic poverty. But what poverty really means is lack. So many of the people that call us do lack financial resources. But many of them also have different kinds of poverty to deal with, emotional, spiritual, and all of them deal with relational poverty. They don't know where to turn. When you and I have a problem, we don't even think about it. We know right where to go. But think about not having any idea. <laughs> it wasn't as easy as I thought it would be. Think about not having any idea where you would go if you had a need. 
I mean, we have our church family, we have our, our actual family, we have our neighbors, we have our work families, but the people that call us or that are referred to us have no network whatsoever. They don't even know where to turn. So when those calls come, we do three things. First of all, we listen very, very carefully. Our clearinghouse coordinator likes to say, when you answer the phone, good morning, love in the name of Christ, you've got some pretty big shoes to fill. So we want to listen. We want to find out exactly what that person needs to say. We want to let them tell their story. Do you know how many people will say to the clearinghouse, thank you for letting me say what I needed to say. Thank you for letting me tell my story. We're in a culture today that doesn't listen well. We want to listen first. We want to make sure that person knows they're cared about. The next thing we do is assess the need very carefully. Not just for the, the normal things that you would think you do in an assessment, finding out the details, but we also want to find out what were your resources before? What has happened that you no longer have those resources? Do you anticipate a change in your life coming down the road? Do you have family nearby? Are you connected with the church? We ask that question for a very important reason, because if they are connected with the church, we want to make sure that their church has the privilege of serving them. But because we ask that question, we know that most of them have no connection to a church. Again, it's a wide open door that God gives us to walk through. So we listen, we assess that need, and then we connect them. If there are resources in the community that will meet that need, we get them connected there first. We're very fortunate to live, live in a community that has hundreds of resources, but consequently we don't always know what they are, and particularly people who are in need don't always know what's out there. We don't ask churches to duplicate resources, so if there is a resource, we get them connected to the nearest food bank or clothing bank or whatever the need is, but then the next step is when we mobilize the church, you, and all the other congregations that are out there. Each and every partner congregation has a contact person. Your contact person is Phoebe Good, and we're so excited to be able to give you this opportunity this morning to not only hear how you can serve, but to actually connect with Phoebe and, and have her be able to give you the opportunity to serve. After the service today, Phoebe will be in the back, um, in the vestibule, as you heard, and she will give you an opportunity to sign up what we have are little, we call them talent tithes or uh, talent investment sheets that give you all of those choices that I shared before and more of ways that you might be able to reach out and serve someone else in the name of Jesus. One of the things that we do most often is tell what we call our love stories. Our love stories are the stories that come back to us from those who are served, from those who do the serving, and increasingly from our referral base. It's been exciting for me to see over the last few years how we're able to witness to our referral base, to the folks that call from the hospitals and the doctor's office and the social services. We don't know if they're believers, but we have an opportunity to be a witness for Christ's love as they see what happens when they call us because someone they're caring for needs assistance. You know, I told you about the little bulletin inserts that Phoebe has that give you a chance to sign up. Um, often when we speak, we will say, there are a lot of things listed on that sheet. But if you feel God has given you something that's not listed and you really have a feeling that he's giving you that to provide assistance to another person, write it down. 
A few years ago, one of our staff members was speaking and said that very thing. And after the service, someone in the congregation came up and said rather sheepishly, well, this is going to sound dumb, but I'm really good at scrapbooking. Maybe I could do that for somebody. And our staff member said, write it down. Because our experience has been over and over and over that God brings the need and the resource. We've seen it happen so many times. So she wrote this down on her sheet. And about two weeks later, we had a call from the Visiting Nurses Association. The nurse said, I have a need, but I don't think you're going to be able to meet it. Clearinghouse said, well, well, what is it? And she said, I'm working with a young mom. She's a single mom with a 14-year-old daughter, and the mother is dying. She would like somebody to be able to preserve their life together for her daughter before she goes. God brings the need and the resource. We see it over and over. We had a call some years back from a caseworker who said, I'm working with a gentleman who needs to go to Johns Hopkins University Hospital. He has some severe problems. They can't figure out what the need is, what the problem is, so he needs to go down there for a few weeks in a row. Do you have someone that can take him? And yes, we do have volunteers from all around the county who've said, you know what, we're willing to do that. So we connected him with the local church, and they began to take him. And that's the last we heard. We often don't know what happens down the line. Our role is not to solve the problem. Our role is to mobilize you, to get you connected. So fast forward to about a year and a half ago, two years ago, and we got a call from the wife of the gentleman who had been served. She said, I don't know if you remember my husband, but you connected us to a church, and these folks uh, helped to take him to Johns Hopkins. She said, I'm calling for two reasons today. First of all, our volunteer, and she gave his name, has been taking my husband every other week for the last three years to Johns Hopkins. Every other week. She said, and now he's ill, and we want to ask you to pray for him. And she said, I'm almost embarrassed to say this, but my husband still needs to go to Johns Hopkins. Do you have another church that could help us? So we got her connected to another church, and they set up a team of rotating men who were taking her husband to Johns Hopkins every other week. The next time she called back, she said to Linda, can I ask you a question? Linda said, sure. She said, I don't understand. Why are these people doing this for us? And Linda said, I can tell you why. And she was able to share the gospel with her. The woman said, I, we don't practice, but I grew up Jewish, and I, I never knew much about Christianity. She said, this is, this is really something. I, I'm excited about this. So we continued a relationship with this woman and her husband. They eventually moved out of the area. They still call us and send emails. And just some months ago, the woman sent us an article from a medical journal her husband had a miraculous healing. Even though he'd been treated for three or four years, the healing itself happened in a miraculous way. And the doctor said, we don't understand how this happened. Linda and I and his wife said, we understand. We know how it happened. One of the things that is hardest, I think, in our, in our work and our service for Jesus is he calls us to be obedient but he doesn't always give us the end of the story. And I think that's on purpose, because I think he knows how easy it would be for us to go, 
Look what I did. He calls us to obedience. And so that's what we need to do whenever we get a call to serve. We're not responsible for the end. We may be planting the seed. We may be watering the seed. We may never know how God has worked through us in the life of that person, but we have to trust and know that he will work through that. It may be five years from now. It may be ten years from now. But because we're obedient, we know that he is working in that person's life through our outreach. Several years back, we had a call from a woman, a caseworker, who said, I'm working with a woman, she has cancer, and she needs uh, rides to her chemotherapy appointments. Do you have somebody that can help? So we connected her to a church, and uh, there were several volunteers that began to assist her. One of the volunteers called one day, and she said, Oh, my goodness, Joyce is so difficult. She's such an angry, angry woman. She doesn't really seem to appreciate what we're doing, but we've been praying about it, and we hear God telling us, stay there, stay beside her. So the volunteers continued to serve her. A few weeks later, a volunteer called back and said, you know, we noticed that Joyce is not eating very well. We're going to start bringing meals into her. Uh, and, and as they did that, she let us know that Joyce didn't like anything they brought. <laughs> no matter what they brought, she said, I don't like it cooked that way. I don't like this. I don't like that. But the volunteer said, we've been praying about it, and God told us to stay right here. As they continued to serve her, Joyce began to open up and share a little bit about her life. She said, when I was a little girl, I knew God. But then something very bad happened in my life, and nobody could explain it to me, and I decided I was going to turn my back on God, and that's what I did. She was estranged from her family. She was angry at the world. But as she opened up, our volunteers said to her, would you like to talk to our pastor? She said, yes, I would. The pastor of that church went in. He took the Bible on tape. He began to sit with her. And finally, one day, she broke down, and she said, I can't believe I've lost all these years when I could have been walking with God and had such joy in my life. Shortly after that, she was moved to hospice. Two weeks before she died, she asked to be baptized. And in that hospice room, the pastor of that church, with the volunteers sitting around, baptized her. He asked her if she wanted to say anything. She said, I'd like to pray. Our volunteer said, she prayed the most joyful prayer she had ever heard. She knew whose she was and where she was going. The hospice volunteer asked our volunteer, what did you do to Joyce? She's like a different person. And our volunteer again got to witness by saying, she is a different person. She's a new person in Christ. Those are the kinds of love stories that keep us going. As I said, we don't always get to hear the end of the story, but sometimes we do. Finally, I was speaking at a church several years ago, and a pastor said, we have a woman here who'd like to stand up and give her testimony after you speak. And I said, oh, that would be wonderful. She stood up and she said, most of you don't know how I ended up at this church. You saw me baptized a few weeks ago, but I'd like to tell you how that happened. She said about six or eight months ago, my caseworker said, I'm going to get this religious organization to take you to the doctor. 
She said, I thought, great, a religious organization. They're never going to help me. When they find out I'm an alcoholic, when they find out I can't hold a job, when they find out I'm a bad person, they're not going to help me. But these people came and began to take her to her appointments. And she said, every time they came, I would let out a little bit more about myself. I was testing them. Every time I thought, that's it. Wait, wait till they hear this, then they're not coming back. She said, they kept coming back. I didn't understand. And when she had to go to the hospital for surgery, they said, may we come in and pray with you before your surgery? She said, yes. And they brought me a Bible. She said, I never had a Bible before. She said, I looked at them and I said, you people have something I don't have. I don't know what it is, but I want it. When she came out of surgery, the volunteer couple was waiting for her. And she said, you know the rest of the story. I was baptized here a few weeks ago, and now I tell everybody about Jesus. She said, but what I want you to know is, I always knew there was a God, but I didn't know anything about Jesus. I didn't know anybody could love me that much. Brothers and sisters, if you, like me, grew up in a loving family and in a loving church family, it is so easy to assume that everybody knows about Jesus and knows that someone could love them as much as he does. This is the beauty of what loving brings to you as a congregation, the opportunity to reach out and touch lives like hers. We're so privileged to serve as an extension of your ministry. We're here to offer you that opportunity to touch lives, to help you reach more people with the love of Christ. So this morning I would challenge you to think and pray and discern what gift do you have that God gave you that can be used in the life of someone else? I would ask you to pray about that, talk to your families about it, then talk to Phoebe, who can get you connected. She'll explain how it works. But we know that when you have an opportunity to serve as the hands and feet of Christ in the life of another person, God can change the kingdom through that connection. We thank you so much for your partnership, your prayers, your financial gifts, your willingness to hear and accept God's call to reach out. I've heard it said, wouldn't it be wonderful if people looked at the church and said, those Christians, they all love anybody. And that really is love in the name of Christ. Thank you.